Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're going to have two guests on this Tartan Talks episode, but both guests were so good that we decided to break them into individual podcasts. The first guest is Jan Beljan. She's based in Southeast Florida, and she's the president of the American Society of Golf Course Architects and a longtime golf course architect. She's going to describe what it's like working in her segment of the industry during these uncertain times. And on the second part, we're going to have Forrest Richardson come in and give the Southwest perspective. Forrest is based in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. But before we get going with Jan, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a big supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad that they're on board, and we're glad that we were able to bring Jan on the podcast for the second time in less than a year. Well, Jan, thanks for joining us. It's nice to have you on the podcast again. Uh, The first thing I wanted to ask you is you're based in South Florida, and you live in South Florida. Just describe the situation there right now. We're recording this here in mid-April. What is it like being in your part of the country? Well, in my part of the country, first, thanks for having me. This is a, a terrific honor, and I'm glad to be connected with the rest of the golf world, being that we're down here in the southern part of Florida. The, the three counties further south, Palm Beach, uh, Broward, and Miami-Dade County, all have been on lockdown for golf for the past couple of weeks. Originally, it started out just the two southern counties, and then Palm Beach County was was included. The the golf courses uh, in most of the rest of the state are open, uh, especially in uh, the west, southwest, Naples, Bonita Springs area, and they are having um, stellar uh, rounds played every day. Uh, All the social distancing is being managed nicely, and all the CDC efforts are implemented. So um, everyone is so grateful to be able to get outside, still have some social time, get some exercise, enjoy nature. And I think that's probably one of the things that many people who are in more densely populated areas miss, is the opportunity to have some true outside time in nature where there's grass and not just walking on pavement. Um, to be to be fair, it's not just the golf courses are closed, but also boat ramps and even the beaches. You cannot walk on the beach in, in these same counties, even if it's a private beach that belongs to a high-rise condominium. So the, the uh, security people will get you off that beach. Uh, if one person's there, then next thing you know, there's more people, and next thing you know, you have people lacking social distancing. So... Um, so South Florida is a bit contained, but if you are, really want to see how golf is done well, you check out the villages, um, where there are multiple golf courses. I forget how many hundreds of holes, but that is, um, that's where you can find golfers playing every day, multiple times a week, and uh, where they really do have it um, honed in as to how you can have many people playing golf all day long safely. So really this intensified in mid-March. Where were you in the uh, South Florida golf cycle? Was that around the time of year when snowbirds start leaving? And what was the season like up until that point in your part of Florida? Oh, uh, 
well, there's high seasons still. Most of the people, the snowbirds, don't don't start leaving until generally mid-April, somewhere Easter or Mother's Day, between Easter and Mother's Day, depending on when Easter falls. So it was March was definitely high season, and we've had great weather. So there were many many courses, uh, public and private, were on on pace to to have um, record rounds for the month when this shut down. So. That, that had a terrific impact on on uh, the courses that did close, but again, the people who are still open are still experiencing high play all day long. In some ways, for the golf course superintendents, that's a bit uh, difficult because now you have higher use. People don't have as many other different things to do because the, the other uh, exercise points are closed, such as uh, the, the um, fitness centers. They're closed. So the best place to get exercise is outside. Uh, most of the courses, even that are ones that are closed, have restricted walking because people take out their dogs and then they don't pick up after their dogs. And that's not fair to everybody else, especially not to the limited maintenance staff to have to pick up after uh, people whose dogs don't look after themselves. So there were a, a lot of people still playing and, and continue. And what I understand is many people have chosen not to go back north because of the weather or because they can't. And some people, even from Canada, have chosen to stay. Or when they saw something going on, they chose to leave early and have been, and this is both in the Northeast as and in Canada. That, um, so it's kind of still about where it would have been as far as play now in mid-April. So you work as a golf course architect. Your job is very mobile. You're all over the place. You are the president of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, so that requires a lot of traveling and mobility. What are your days and routine like right now, Jan? Well, there are a lot. They're probably like many others. And there's a lot more time spent at the computer doing and and uh, on on phone calls, talking with clients remotely. Well, I've been able to have, uh, thankfully, on golf courses, we can still social distance and have a meeting outside. And uh, that's that's easy enough to do, and I'm I'm glad to be able to do that. Uh, but the the time spent inside is is much more. And I'd say that my clients are planning; they're still planning. Some of the clients I have have been. Um, I'm grateful to have the ones who are very thoughtful about the clubs. They want to have only. They're going to spend what they can. We work in phases of renovations or updates. This is what we have for this year. We have a, a master plan we've been working on, and every year the master plan adjusts based on what has been accomplished the previous year and what the what they've been able uh, to fund for the following year. So we're still in the middle of that, and one of the things that people are doing now because they have uh, limited um, golf course maintenance workers or they're spacing the workers out so they come in 10 minutes apart and um, so to, to manage the social distancing or so that they have fewer than 10 people in a break room at any one time. Again, for the social distancing, um, they're, they're uh, limiting what they can do. Some superintendents have chosen they want to put out only one, one T marker instead of putting out two or put out no T markers. But then again, there's a great concern about uh, by, by some about do our rounds of golf count if we don't have tee markers? Do our rounds of golf count toward our handicap if the ball actually hasn't gone in the hole? There are some people who have concerns that are 
that are important, but maybe not as much as some other things <laughs> in the scope of what's going on. You mentioned planning and golf course architects plan, 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 mm-hmm. and then mobilize. What is it like establishing plans for your, your clients and facilities when you just don't quite know when things are going to get back to normal? We still plan because part of what the, the, the clubs, you know, and then the, the club governors and the club managers, the golf course superintendents, I mean, these are really good teams, and they all understand this is not going to last forever. There is going to be a stop to this or a slowdown, and then it may change. This is probably going to be a bit of a roller coaster, but not as not with the peak that we've had up to this point. So they know this is going to change, and uh, in many cases, they're prepared to proceed so that they actually have the benefit. The benefit of planning is they can get work done. They're ready to get work done when people are ready to do it. They have the financing in place. They have the plan in place as to what they want to do. And so when they're ready to go, they'll probably have some preferred pricing because contractors and suppliers who are ready to to um, get back to work and re-employ or unfurlough some of the people that had to furlough. So um, that, that's to the benefit of people who are ready to pull the trigger. The planning, that's the important part of the planning. You've been working in Florida for decades. What's the Florida golf course construction cycle like? When does that really pick up? Construction cycle is typically after the snowbirds have gone, and uh, and sometimes I've worked on some courses recently where it was pretty critical to keep play through the end of March to April first, and some people wanted to keep it through May first, and then they wanted to have the course open in November. Well, if you want to look at it in terms of how long does a golf course superintendent have to do grow in, they want a minimum of three months, really should be closer to four. And you want to get the grass down by uh, mid-June, end of June at the latest, you know, prior to hurricane season and washouts, that would leave only a month to do work. And that just can't be done, um, especially if you're trying to remove uh, a, a turf type that you don't want any longer, Bermuda grass or, or weed-infested grasses. You want to do certain herbicide applications a series of them for it to be effective. That's usually a four- to six-week program if you're spraying every two weeks and letting encouraging regrowth and then spraying again and then spraying again. So if you have six weeks there, then you really have to either start earlier or, or have a later opening date. So that's, that's the long answer. The short answer is the summer season is the construction season in Florida because high season for play is in the winter. Right now, there's some golf courses being maintained with just maybe a half dozen people or even fewer than that, maybe just one or two people because of some of the the work restrictions right now. In addition to being a golf course architect, you're a registered landscape architect and certified arborist. How do superintendents and other managers handle areas like landscapes and trees when, when there's only minimal or essential maintenance being done, Jan? What are some strategies to, to at least tidy those areas up or, or ensure they don't become a problem here over the next few months? Uh, they, they all do what they can. And, of course, the most important thing is, to, is that the golf course superintendents do is they work from the greens back to the tees and from the center of the golf hole out to the rough. 
and if they can reduce the amount of um, amount of mowing because they might have used a, a growth regulator, mm-hmm. that helps. That helps from a from an employment standpoint, and it helps from a, a whole budget standpoint, uh, budgeting time and budgeting money. So that means they can budget some of the money to be able to reduce uh, trees if that's what's necessary. And part of this does need to happen because, you know, again, we're talking about in Florida, the Carolinas, the Gulf Coast states, where hurricanes are, are likely. And to prevent having a, a bigger problem because you deferred maintenance, they still have to look after reducing the canopies of trees or removing trees altogether so that there's less of an issue in returning the course to playability after a storm event. So uh, what some superintendents are doing, they're selectively um, going to areas where there are issues, either the trees are too dense or they've overgrown, there's too much shade, there's fruit intrusion, and they're able to address those now. And one of the things in Florida, because we do have the hurricanes, is uh, arborist work is considered an essential service. So um, arborists are able to work, and so are all other landscape uh, operators. Again, it's because we have a growing season that's 12 months a year, and um, if, if you don't address it, then there are bigger issues beyond that. Um, if you don't maintain the landscapes, all of a sudden you have more places for vermin to live. And who wants to have that problem? We don't. So it's taking care of an issue before it becomes a problem. So tree reduction and pruning to reduce shade, to widen playing areas, to get rid of uh, root invasion, surface roots that impact mowers, those are all things that are being taken care of right now by those who can. When there is minimal maintenance going on in some of these golf courses, what does a golf course architect or superintendent learn about the design of the golf course. Do you learn a lot about functionality when, when it, the, the bare minimum is being done to keep it going? Oh, sure. But then again, uh, you know, and, and most golf course architects will look at the golf course in terms of, and part of this was uh, precipitated, excuse the word, precipitated when we started talking about reducing the amount of water that was used. If you have regulations that say this is as much water as you can use, then you better be sure about what is really essential in the golf course. And again, it's working from the from the green back to the tee, and then from the center out. So, golf courses have been had irrigation systems designed so that you could take care of the most essential areas first in case of a drought, and uh, you know, tees and greens, and then fairways, and then roughs if necessary, and then removing plant materials. So. Yes, yes, we can. We, we, we learn a lot. We, we design now, more now than perhaps ever before, than we had in the previous 20 to 40 years for um, eventualities of, re- of reducing um, irrigated, maintained areas. You know, some of the clubs in South Florida have amazing landscapes beyond the, 
the golf turf. I mean, there, there are some exquisite areas near Tees, near the clubhouse. I mean, you've seen way more of them than I have. How are those handled with minimal maintenance? I mean, they can't become an eyesore during this period. How do you handle some of those non-golf landscape areas that are really important to, to a lot of these clubs down your way? Well, and, and part of it depends on what the club wants. And in many cases, uh, some of and as a um, you and almost every homeowner knows that they may put an annual plant out because this is the color we want given the season, uh, whether it's a spring or you want fall color with with uh, chrysanthemums, depending on where you are in the country. So, so some of the um, really intense landscapes may be annuals, and those might be changed out. They'll they'll be allowed to to um, uh, achieve their their natural maturity and then fade away, and then they'll be removed. And perhaps none will be rein- reinstalled until um, fall, and that's usually what happens. Some of those areas just say blank, but there are other areas that are perennials or shrubs that, uh, unless you really know what those plants are, you don't know how much or how little maintenance they require. As in every place around the country, right plant, right place. And what's the right plant? Well, what's the what's the reason? Do you want to have minimal pruning? then you uh, think about plants that are naturally slower growing and don't get as tall. Uh, they may be wider than tall. Uh, but the first thing you look, I look for is what's the pH of the soil. If you plant something that likes acid-type soil, like an azalea, in, a material, in, in soil that has a very high pH uh, that's liney, that will not do well. So it's the right pH first. So let's check out the pH before we think about what plant we're going to put there. And then it's what the exposure is. Does it require sunlight? Does it require shade? And sometimes, and what I often see, and you can see this all across the country, is when there's a, a new landscape, it doesn't matter if it's for a new residential area, if it's for a uh, car lot, if it's for a mall or pedestrian area, invariably smaller trees will be installed and those trees will become bigger. How big will they get? Well, we don't know. But when they do get taller, when they do get bigger, they provide more shade. That means that whatever understory plants were installed at the same time the trees were, those were often sun-loving plants because they had sun. The trees were still small. So there's a cycle of removing plants that are that are no longer that no longer um, have the conditions for them to grow healthfully. So you take out a sun-loving plant, you know, you put in shade-loving plants. So a lot of those things. So you have to be aware. You don't have to be, but if you're wise, you are aware of the landscape and what's going on and why things don't look as well as they could. Often it's because of the exposure to sunlight or shade. Jan, when was the last time you were on a golf course, and uh, how soothing was it to be, be out there? Well, it was, uh, let's see, on a golf course to play was uh, the, the Sunday before they, they shut us down here in Palm Beach County. So that was like the day before, so that was about three weeks ago. And um, to be on a golf course to do work is was uh, just earlier, well, what's, what's today, Tuesday? Yeah, so it was uh, Friday last week, 
and it's always wonderful to be out on a golf course. It is soothing. Um, there are no distractions except what I, what is my work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so I'm I'm always pleased to be out. Every every golf course, regardless of where it is, has its own charm. If it's in the mountains, if it's coastal, if it's near river, if it's in a forest, I mean, they all have their they're all captivating in their own way. Your job, like many others, has a tremendous amount of stress during a period of uncertainty like this. You're a small business owner. What type of uncertainties do a golf course architect? face and what are some strategies you have for handling some of the 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 hypotheticals and down the road things that you're being forced to think about well the stresses are of course our clients are under equal stress our our, our, as a golf course architect my clients are uh, the members who are at a golf facility and they're under a stress to, to keep their operations going too both for themselves and and for their staff so so kind of cyclical, I suppose. They depend on us. We depend on them. And what I can do best to help them is to say, uh, I'm here to help you if you want help, if you need help, to try to think about how to reduce some of the maintenance. What, what can we think about now that you may implement that will keep you budget-wise safe enough so that when things return, you're comfortable that you haven't let things go so far that it's difficult to recover. We faced some of these things in 08 when the SARS and MERS. I mean, there were times when there are other crises similar to this, certainly not as expansive and certainly not as fast-spreading. But golf has been around for 500-plus years, and in the past 100 years, it's more than 100 years we've been through wars and and other crises, and each time there has been recovery. So I see that that's probably going to continue for us, but it's being prudent in what, and this is the same as what we do in our own households, what are the essentials? Let's manage the essentials. We know what's on the periphery, and we know we can get back to that when we can get back to that. You grew up in a golf family, Jan. Uh, you've been in, in it your entire life. What do you remember about uh, seeing your, your, your father and uncles handle, handle tough times, and how did the tough times of those days compare to the tough times now? And there were, there were less screens and certainly le- less information then. Well, that, that's true. And, yeah. and at the time, at, at, you know, when my father and my, my father and five uncles were all golf professionals, yeah. And my father was a golf pro superintendent who designed the golf course where I grew up, and he was there to maintain it and to operate it. And so I saw the golf course under construction. I was a little tyke then, but it was very fascinating to see uh, heavy equipment doing this and doing that and just seeing uh, things change over the course of one day. But when when times were tough then, you can think back to the... the um, Oh, I'd say the, the 70s when we had the first um, gas crisis. And you could only buy gas every other day, depending on what your license plate was, right? Even a rod number. Um, so that was, that. there was a huge impact to golf then. People couldn't travel. It was expensive and uh, to get anywhere. So uh, the most important thing was 
from my uncles and my dad were they always recognized that golf was entertainment and golf was a place where you could have um, relief from the other stresses. If you're really thinking about golf, you're not thinking about something else. If you're thinking about playing the game, if you're out on the golf course and playing it, it's difficult to think about something else. And that in and of itself relieves us of stress. Um, you step away from something and then you can go back, you go back to it, all of a sudden you can see something with a fresh mind and eye. And so what they did, they did the best they could to create um, enthusiasm for the members, for the golfers to come and, and have a certain amount of enjoyment. They were entitled to do that because they had worked hard to, to be able to do that. And um, so I, I saw those things. I saw where budgets went very low. Um, my dad worked at a place one time where everything was COD. He had to pay he had to pay out of his own pocket and hope to get paid back for um, um, fertilizer and and chemicals. So um, I, I don't know how many people experience something like that, but that's what a small business is. And when you're invested, when you're loyal to the to the group that you work for, that's those are the kinds of things that were done. And what's different now is that then it was the, the meetings were important, monthly meetings, whether it was the PGA. Um, professionals in their chapters getting together, the golf course superintendents in their chapters getting together. It is important to have that face-to-face contact and to share uh, what the problems were and, what, and, more importantly, what the solutions were. And that's where the bonding and the friendships really happen. And I think that's part of what's going on now. There are more people talking via phone than perhaps had. Text is still pretty important, but people are getting information from podcasts, from um, webinars, but there really is nothing quite like that one-on-one, face-to-face, here's what I know, what do you know, let's share this, because we can get through this together. And every, and the most unbelievable part about golf is that even though there are so many who are in competition with the next course down the road, we all know that we can all succeed if we're in this together and we all know that we are and we are sharing. So, and I thank you for what you're doing to help all of us share with one another, Guy, because uh, without you to reach out to so many across the country, we would all not be in as good a place as we will be for what you're doing. So thank you for that. Wow. That's some tremendous perspective. And I only, I don't even know how to follow that up, but you mentioned the, the conversations and the meetings via video sometimes. You're the leader of an industry association. You're the president of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. What has it been like ushering the society through the last month, and what type of collaboration have you had with your, your fellow members who are sometimes your competitors? others 
I can't travel to here, so maybe connect with this golf course architect who's more regional to you. That's pretty special. Mm-hmm. That's pretty special. So there has been collaboration amongst the executive committee of the board of directors, and we are reaching out to other people, you know, our other members, and they likewise are reaching out to us. And, you know, one of probably really important things that, that happened here, it seems like it's a small thing, it's small, but it's important, is that uh, a, a, an aspiring golf course architect, Jay Smith, was talking to one of our members, Nathan Crace, and said, you know, his son had um, was drawing a golf hole. Why can't other kids be doing this because they're not in school? Therein was spawned the, the Great Junior Golf Challenge. And within several days, we had uh, something put up on the website. And, you know, it's just been a lovely thing to see the creativity by these youngsters and, who, who play golf, whose parents play golf, and who are willing enough to download the PDF of the, of the, of the sheet for them to do the drawing, and then to submit it to the, to the uh, ASGCA. So the collaboration is beyond what many people would, would think there might be, and might be only second to what the medical people are doing to collaborate and to make sure that there's um, health and safety for uh, both the practitioners as well as patients. I had a chance to meet Jay during a visit to Naples last year, and what an incredibly passionate person he is about golf course uh, architecture and design, and that, that's that's a great program. One last thing here, Jan, what have you learned about golf and what it means to people here in the last month? Oh, golf means so much more. It's, it's probably like so many other things. You don't know what you got till it's gone. <laughs> and, and I think, and so the number of people who are passionate about golf, and it isn't just people who are of a certain age, but it crosses the spectrum of age. You know, one of the most, one of the most incredible things are the, the um, USGA LPGA girls golf. That started out from two girls in 1989 to 90,000 have been reached as of this year. And the, the fact that golf is so important in um, learning what the challenges of life are, you have challenges in golf and the parallels are there. And, and it's beyond, I think many people can't even describe what golf means to them because it's, it's such a relief for them. It's their zen in many ways. It's their way of having a social life. It's a way to have competition that's safe. It's a way to enjoy nature. It's a way to understand um, horticulture and birds and wildlife and, and people. Um, so I, the people who miss golf... They miss it for multiple reasons, and um, um, it, it makes me just so grateful to be part of this in- industry, to be part of this game, more importantly. Well, Jan, that was uh, greatly said. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for everything you do for the industry. You're a great example to many, so really appreciate you taking some time to, to join the podcast for a second time now. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and I'm delighted, too, that, that you're as successful as you are and that so many people have so many wonderful things to share with you and to share with us. Thank you, Guy.